All right, we're excited to continue our sermon series through the fruit of the Spirit. We're coming to the end of the summer and to the end of this series. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Certainly been a blessing uh, to me. And we've been enjoying going through this Galatians 5 passage, which is a little bit of a deeper dive. Today, as we do once in a while, is what we call a family worship Sunday. So we have our, our students with us this morning. So if you are age 17 and under, would you just raise your hand and let me know that you're here today? Awesome. We are so excited to have uh, some life and vibrancy with us this morning with our adults. And so we, uh, we would invite you at times to even participate with me in helping me give the message. Last time, maybe if you were here earlier this summer, we did a family worship Sunday, and I was giving out fruit and uh, you were taking the fruit, and it was great. My fruit bowl is empty, though, so today all I had was fruit snacks. So if you are able to help me out, I do have some prizes up here, fruit snacks from time to time. Our key verse in uh, the book of Galatians is found in verses 22 and 23. Let me put, a, put that up on the screen, and let's recite it together uh, loud and proud. Ready? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, There is no law. All right, pat yourself on the back. You did really well. I wonder how you're doing if I don't put it all on the screen for you. Like if I take some of the words out, uh, and I'd like some help from our younger audience. Would any uh, younger student be able to name just one of the words that has a blank there? Anybody? You want to help me out, bro? All right, come on up. Yeah, very good. Give my friend a big hand for being bold and courageous here. Awesome. Right up here. Step right up. This is a, uh, a, a wonderfully courageous move on your part. What's your name, sir? Micah. Micah. A nice biblical name. I appreciate that, Micah. Very good. Do you know that name's in the Bible? Yeah. Yes, it is. All right. So the first blank, if you look on the screen uh, behind me here, it starts with L. Do you know what that word is? Love. Love. Very good. Give Micah a big hand for knowing that one. Awesome job. You can take a fruit snack, my friend. Do you know any of the other ones? Like, do you, know, do you happen to know any of the other ones? Yeah. Yeah? Which ones do you remember? All of them. <laughs> okay. All right, Micah. Let's, let's, let's see what you got, man. The first one's love. Then what? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Holy moly. Nice job, my friend. Two. You get two for that one. You can have a seat, my friend. Thank you very much. Impressive. Putting the adults to shame, that's our key verse. We've made it all the way to week nine of our series, and we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, which is gentleness, gentleness. Now, this is a very important word in the Bible. Sometimes your translation might say meekness, gentleness. I'm going to be using those terms synonymously today. The dictionary defines this term as being mild, moderate, soft, delicate, and submissive to voluntarily assume equality with an inferior. That's gentleness. That's meekness. Now, that's often a misunderstood character trait. When people think of gentleness, they often think of a kind of spinelessness or weakness. And so to me personally, uh, as a man uh, who wants to build muscles and stuff, I, I want to be macho. This character trait doesn't seem that attractive to me. Uh, gentleness, meekness, that doesn't seem very important to me. Or maybe you're, you're a lady here today and this doesn't seem very attractive to you either. Maybe you're kind of a type A person. Uh, you like to be the alpha and you see this word and you're not naturally gentle and you might be thinking, Pastor Dave, are you serious? Do you know what happens to gentle people? They get stepped on. They get walked on. They, they, they get laughed at. And, and most often they get ignored. 
And so thanks, but no thanks. I'll take the other fruit of the Spirit on the screen, but I'll take a pass, hard pass, on gentleness. After all, I've got to put my guard up. After all, I don't want to get taken advantage of. After all, I've got to have boundaries. I don't want to be gentle. I want to be strong. But perhaps that mindset comes from a really big misunderstanding about what this whole concept is. Uh, Chuck Swindoll uh, is helpful here, so let me bring him up to the witness stand. He says this, in our rough and rugged individualism, we think of gentleness as weakness, being soft and virtually spineless. Not so. Gentleness includes such enviable qualities as having strength under control, being calm and peaceful when surrounded by a heated atmosphere, emitting a soothing effect on those who may be angry or otherwise beside themselves, and possessing tact and gracious courtesy that causes others to retain their self-esteem and dignity. That's gentleness. Notice the phrase in yellow, strength under control. That's a great working definition for gentleness. In fact, let's say that together. Strength under control. That's what gentleness is. Bring to your mind, if you will, the image of a horse, a horse that's been broken and tamed. A horse has a lot of strength, doesn't it? If it's unbroken, if it's a wild stallion, that would be strength out of control. It can do a lot of damage. I remember the first time I ever rode a horse, this was intimidating. This animal was a lot bigger than I am. It was a lot stronger than I am. But the trainer reassured me, well, you know, that, that, that horse has been tamed. That horse has been broken. It is a gentle horse. It is a meek horse. Its strength is under control. That's a picture of gentleness. Another picture, if you will, is that of a very strong wind. Picture a hurricane, if you will. Now, a hurricane, if it's out of control, can ravage through a town or a city with water and wind totally doing devastating things and destruction uh, being left wherever it goes. However, if you take that same wind and that same water and you bring it under control, that same power can rush over a dam. Uh, That's the kind of wind that can turn a turbine, and that will generate electricity and give power and light to the surrounding cities. That's another great picture of strength under control. That's meekness. That's gentleness. That's what God wants to produce inside of each of us today. And so our message will have three different movements. What we're going to talk about is first gentleness at work in the whole Bible, then we're going to see gentleness at work in Jesus, and then we'll see gentleness at work in you and me. In the Bible, in Jesus, in you and me. Before we do that, let's pray together. God, for just a moment, we pause and we ask for your help. As we look at your word, we ask you to open our eyes, ears, most of all our hearts. Uh, Lord, as the old prayer says, what we have not, would you give us? What we know not, would you teach us? And what we are not, would you make us? For your beautiful name, we pray these things. And everyone said... Amen. All right, movement one, gentleness in the Bible. This is a broad overview. I'll just give you a few passages. One of them is from the book of James. James chapter three asks a question. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness, there's that word again, meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual. But, contrast, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, pause there. Just make a couple of observations with me. You'll notice, first of all, the harvesting imagery 
that James, the brother of our Lord, is giving here. There's a sowing and reaping that fits really well with our vision at Millington Baptist Church. We want to be, as disciples of Christ, like trees planted by the living water, bearing fruit in season. We want to be, as you see behind me, firmly planted, growing together, and made to multiply. That's who we are as a church. And James is using this kind of organic botanical language to discuss how gentleness works as a seed. Next, I want you to notice that James uses the same exact words that Paul used in Galatians 5. We saw this in week one of our series to describe the works of the flesh. He says the works of the flesh are obvious, right? And here are some of them right here. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. Gentleness, on the other hand, is going to display a wisdom and, and produce peace in your life and in your relationships. That's gentleness. A few things that the Bible teaches about gentleness. Number one, the Bible teaches that gentleness is attractive. Gentleness actually communicates love to another person. Here's some truth for those of you who are, who are married today. Uh, for the husbands, look at Colossians 3. Husbands, love your wives and be gentle to them. How are we doing, husbands, dads? Are we gentle with our wives? How many of you know that gentle men are gentle men? Husbands, be gentle. Wives, a verse for you comes from 1 Peter 3. You should clothe yourselves Instead, with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. Wives, how are you doing with your gentleness toward your husband? Gentleness is wonderful for marriage. Gentleness is great for relationships. Gentleness is very attractive. The second thing we learn from the Bible is that gentleness also diffuses conflict. You know this verse from Proverbs chapter 15, right? A gentle answer turns away wrath. So let me give you some advice. If someone has wrath toward you, if someone has anger towards you, if someone is losing their cool with you, if someone raises their voice, you need to lower your voice. If someone takes the temperature all the way up to level 10, you need to lower the temperature down to level two. That simple technique, a gentle answer, will diffuse so many unnecessary conflicts. When you have a disagreement and you're gentle, you learn that you have to skillfully use just the right amount of force to deal with the issue appropriately, but not too much force to do damage. You don't need to kill a fly with a sledgehammer, right? That's not the right tool for that job. Uh, if there's a mosquito, you don't need to pull out your cannon and blast the mosquito away. This is what gentleness is. It's strength under control. If there's a disagreement, then you don't come with both barrels loaded and let the other person have it. Instead, you bring just the appropriate amount of force to that situation. There's a place for correction, of course, but gentleness knows exactly the right amount of strength to use, not more, not less. Third, the Bible teaches that gentleness is persuasive. Proverbs 25, gentle speech breaks down rigid defenses. It's oftentimes a gentle person that often becomes a very persuasive person. This is a technique that will help you in your relationships, even if the other person has done something wrong. Take a look at Galatians 6. Again, Paul says this. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, that's us. Those, those of us who have the Holy Spirit inside of us should restore that person how? Gently. You can talk back to me this morning. It's okay. You should restore him how? Gently. Right. That's that word again. That means if somebody's wrong, I don't beat them over the head with a Bible. I come gently and lovingly with a humble and meek and gentle spirit. And if you can't do that, Paul says, don't come at all. You're going to do more harm than good. So this calls for wisdom. Now mark this down. You're never persuasive when you're abrasive. You are never persuasive when you are 
abrasive. Think about a surgeon or think about a mechanic. If too much force is used, it can have a devastating impact on a patient. Uh, if you're working on your car and you've got a, a, a small bolt there and you, you torque that bolt too much, you're going to strip that thing. You're going to do damage to the engine, and that's not the right amount of force. Instead, a delicate precision is needed in both of these crafts. To achieve that, these professionals, they spend many hours training for their specific jobs. And just like that, as followers of Christ, as, as those who want to produce this fruit of the Holy Spirit, we have to train ourselves before we get into those situations and challenges, and with God's Spirit, learn how to be gentle, learn how to have strength under control. And so this is real easy when everything's going fine, but what about when it's not going fine? What do you do when somebody hurts you? A fact of life is you will be hurt. Sometimes it's unintentional, but other times it's, it's intentional. What is your natural reaction to that kind of situation? Do you see red like a bull and you just attack them? Do you want to retaliate? Do you want to get even? Do you want to make them pay? Or will you learn the wisdom here of keeping your strength under control? See, some people say, well, I don't know if I want to do that because I don't want to look weak. I, you know, I, I got to let people know that I have power but I actually think it takes more power to keep your strength under control. It, it was the great uh, stateswoman Margaret Thatcher who said this, being powerful is like being a lady. If you have to tell people you are, you aren't. <laughs> this word gentle here, or Greek proutes, strength under control, is used by Paul a lot. He, he uses it when he's talking to the church at Corinth. You remember we went through that detoxicity series and we talked about 1 Corinthians. That, that church was full of division, fighting, sin. And Paul says, he, here's what he says in chapter 4, verse 21. He says, what do you prefer? He's talking to this church. He says, what, what do you want me to do? Should I come to you with a rod of discipline or shall I come in love with a gentle spirit? That's a hypothetical question. Notice the contrast here. When I come visit, how do you want me to come? Do you want me to come like a raving madman with a rod beating you into submission? Or would you like me to come with a spirit of gentleness? Of course, the answer is obvious. We would prefer you come with gentleness, with your strength under control, because that would be so much more effective. Let me show you this character from the movies. This character had an interesting change over the course of his career in the Marvel Universe. I wonder if there's a young person here today who would be willing to tell me what is the name of this character on the screen? Who knows the name? Do you know the name? All right, come on up, come on up, come on up. All right, very good. Give her a big hand for helping me out. Give him a big hand for helping me out. Awesome job. Come on down, come on down. Do you remember the name? All right, first of all, what's your name? What's your name? Theo. Awesome, awesome. And what is this character's name? Hulk. Hulk, very good. All right, give him a hand for saying that. Come over here, get a fruit snack. Awesome. Do you happen to remember his real name? He has a real name besides the Hulk. Do you remember that one? No. Bruce something, remember? No? It's Bruce Banner. You still did awesome. Give him a hand. Thank you very much. Good job. So the Hulk had this transformation. If you've seen the Marvel movies, you know that over time, he had out-of-control strength, and that strength was turned into strength under control. This is a picture of gentleness. Uh, there's one particular example of gentleness or meekness in the Bible that stands out. It's the person of Moses. Actually, the Bible says this about Moses, Numbers chapter 12. It says, now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And so let me just remind you of who Moses was, because he was not a weak person. 
Moses had to walk up and stand up to the most powerful man in the whole world, Pharaoh, at the time, and give him a very important message from God himself. Let my people go. This was not a weak man. I get a little nervous returning something to the customer service desk, okay? This guy, Moses, is walking into the courts of Pharaoh. He could have had his head, and he gives him a message from God. That's bold. That's confrontational. But yet the Bible says Moses was very meek. Moses was a strong man, but he learned to keep that strength under control. As a result, he was one of the greatest leaders to ever live. There's only two people in the Bible that are called meek, that are called gentle. There's only two characters. Moses is one of them. Can you guess who the other one is? Jesus himself. And that leads us to movement two. The gentleness at work in Jesus. Dane Ortland, in his impressive book, Gentle and Lowly, by the way, Go to Amazon right now and put this in your cart and get this book right now. It's okay if you don't pay attention to the sermon. You need this book more than what I have to say. This book is fantastic. He, he distills a lot of the Puritan authors in here and just makes them so accessible and talks about the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ in this book. It's just an amazing book. He says this. He says, this is a book about the heart of Christ. Who is he? Who is he really? What is most natural to him? What ignites Within him, most immediately, as he moves towards sinners and sufferers, what flows out most freely, most instinctively? Who is he? And in this book, he, 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 he centers one verse that becomes the, the ground or the springboard for the rest of the book. It's from Matthew 11. You know this verse. It's the great invitation of the Lord Jesus. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. That's us, friends. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? Gentle and lowly in heart. Good. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It was Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, who once observed that this is the only place, the one and only place in the whole Bible that describes the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only described one place, right here. Now, you know the heart in the Bible is the center of, of the person. It's the fountain for everything we do. It's the wellspring. And the Lord Jesus says, in the only place that tells him what his heart is, directing all that he did, he says, my heart is gentle and lowly. Ortland further explains what this means. He says, Jesus is meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy, not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe, the posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. This is who Jesus is. And in Matthew chapter 11, he invites you and I to come and find rest. We don't have to have a ticket. We don't have to wait in line when we approach him. We could just come. Ortland says, you don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden, he says, is what qualifies you to come. This is who Jesus is. Therefore, Ortland says in the book and makes a great case, he says, if you don't know Jesus as gentle and lowly, then you don't know him at all because this is what his heart is. I'll give you an example. If, 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 I, if I said to you, I know my wife, Julie. Julie, just raise your hand. I know my wife, Julie, is, she's from New Jersey. She's a dental hygienist. She has three children. If I know things about my wife, Julie, but I don't know her heart, then you could very well say, you don't know Julie. Because I might know about her, but there is a big difference in knowing about someone and knowing their heart. 
This is what Ortland is saying. If you don't know the heart of Christ as gentle and lowly, then you don't know Christ at all. He is gentle. He is lowly. Friends, if you don't know him as the most tender, non-abrasive person in the universe, you don't know him. Because everything else that we know about him emanates from his heart, emanates from that core. If you don't know him as the most accessible, approachable person in the universe, you don't know him at all. Let me share with you a frightening verse from John 14. Here, the night before Jesus died on the cross, he's speaking to his disciples, particularly Philip here. And it says this in John 14, 9. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? That is a frightening scripture. Jesus had been with him for three years doing ministry, doing miracles, lots of teaching. And at the end of those three years, Jesus sits him down and says, Philip, you don't know me yet. Not really. You're still fundamentally misguided. Friends, if Philip can make that mistake, if the disciples can make that mistake, who walked with him in person for three years, is it possible that you and I can make that mistake as well? I believe that we can. I believe that I can. Can I be honest? I believe that I have. Being a faithful, evangelical, Bible-believing Christian, and yet Jesus could come to me and say, Dave, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? Friends, might there be regions, vast tracts of, of real, vibrant, land that makes up the living Jesus that we haven't discovered yet. You know, when Columbus came over here uh, to the New World, he called the Caribbean the Indies because he thought he made it to India, not realizing there was like this entire continent that was not yet explored, regions to discover. Might we be in a very similar position with the Son of God? Might there be vast regions, vast tracts of land? Might there be vast sections of our Savior's heart that we have not yet discovered? Have I been with you so long you don't know me? Friends, maybe we think we've discovered him, but if we don't know him as gentle and lowly, we don't know him. Oh, I don't know, Matt, Pastor David. Are you making too much of that one verse? That's just one verse. Matthew chapter 11. There's a lot of verses in the Bible. Are you leaning on that verse a little too heavily? Ortland anticipates that objection in his book, and he said, well, maybe we would be if... We had throughout the Gospels a totally different picture of Jesus that wasn't gentle and lowly. If we had a different picture of Jesus that was like some kind of aloof college professor dispensing wisdom dispassionately or, or like a celebrity whisked away to the green room or like a movie star, un, un, untouchable, maybe, but we don't. Rather, on every page, in every verse, in every chapter, what we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is this picture of Jesus, gentle and lowly, always reaching down, always reaching out, defending, weeping, restoring, dignifying, forgiving, healing, and giving the shame back their God image and glory. This is who he is. He's gentle. He's lowly. He had his strength under control, didn't he? There was, though he was the very son of God, all-powerful, there were times where he really had to keep things under control Raps. You remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was there with Peter, and Peter takes out his sword? What does Jesus do? Put that away. Nobody takes my life. Don't you know I lay it down? 
I could call legions of angels right now to protect us. This is why I came. What's that? Strength under control. Remember when he's talking to Pilate? Pilate says, don't you know I have the authority I have here? I have the authority to take your life. Jesus says what? You have no authority except the authority I give to you. What is that? That's strength under control. This is who Jesus is. He has strength under control. So Matthew chapter 11 is really just the verbal tip of the iceberg that describes the portrait of Jesus that is readily apparent in every verse, in every chapter, on every page of all four Gospels. And furthermore, this is also the comprehensive picture that we get of our God in the Old Testament that leads up to the coming of the Messiah. And I could share with you a lot of verses, but I'm just going to choose three. Three key passages from the Old Testament that reveal the heart of God. The first one is from Exodus chapter 34. Now, this is a long passage, and I need a young person to help me out here. Somebody who can read, okay? So that's like a prerequisite to you volunteering. Can you help me out, Chloe? Okay, come on up. Give Chloe a big hand for volunteering. So what she's going to read for us is a passage where God himself reveals who he is to Moses. And when God passes before Moses... This is who God says that he is to Moses. So you might want to look on that screen because it's a little bigger. And I'll hold the mic. The whole thing. The whole thing. Here we go. Let's go, Chloe. (laughs) And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands of forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the Third and fourth generation. Awesome job. Give Chloe a big hand. Take one. Awesome job. You can have a seat. Thank you so much, Chloe. Good job reading. Now, that is a key text where God reveals himself. Ortland commentating on this says, notice it does not say God revealing his glory, saying, quote, the Lord, the Lord exacting and precise, or the Lord, the Lord disappointed and frustrated. Notice, when he chooses to reveal his glory, he says, the Lord the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger. This is his heart. Notice also the contrast between the third and fourth generation and a thousand generations. This is the essence of who God is. He, yes, he's just and fair and righteous, and yes, at times there will be punishment, but the overwhelming message about his heart here is that he's compassionate and merciful. If you missed that, you missed it. Objection, Pastor Dave. What about those other passages in the Bible? What about the passages that say God is angry? And there are some of those. But when you read those, I want you to notice something about them. I want you to notice that in those passages, God is provoked to anger. God has to be provoked to anger. Kids, you know what provoked means. It means to to push something to happen, to cause it, to stimulate something to, to someone or someone. When it, when it comes to God, his heart is most naturally, normally, love. His anger needs to be provoked. You and I are just the opposite. I'm most naturally angry, and Hebrews chapter 10 says, I need to be provoked to love. God is not like that. He is most naturally love, slow to anger, gentle and lowly. Example number two, 
Again, the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 55. It's a well-known passage. You're probably familiar with it. He says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now notice what this verse is teaching. Because oftentimes we read this verse, and we say this, what this verse means is God is sovereign, and God is omniscient, and he knows more than we do. And all that's true. But I want you to notice something very specific that's being, teach, being taught here in this verse because it's much more particular than that. All of that's true. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, his thoughts. Are, I, I, but what he's saying here through the prophet Isaiah is my compassion is on another plane than your compassion. My love is on another level than your love. My mercy is not like your mercy. My gentleness is not like your gentleness. My kindness is not like your kindness. Why? Come to me, God says. Why? Because I'm not like you. I'm love. I'm compassionate. I'm merciful. Calvin, talking about this passage, Isaiah 55, says, There's nothing that troubles our consciences more than when we think that God is like ourselves. He isn't like you. Even the most intense of human love is but the faintest echo of heaven's cascading abundance. The late Brandon Manning said this, Don't ever be so foolish as to compare God's love with your love. When we speak of God's love, we are speaking of the infinite, transcendent creator of all things who is love himself and whose love is beyond comprehension. Don't ever be so silly as to compare your thin, wavering, capricious, moody, depending upon smooth circumstances, love with God's love. For he is God. And his love and his grace and his compassion are greater than you can ever imagine. This is what Isaiah the prophet is actually saying. We are not like him. Come to me. I'm not like you. What are you like? You keep score. That's what you're like. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 4. All who rely on the works of the law are who are of works. Literally it says, you who are of works. Law-ishness, works-ishness. This is who we are by nature. It's undetectable because it's so natural to us to keep score. To a fallen people, worksishness is like water to a fish. We just swim around, scorekeeping. Kids, you keep score, right? Soccer games, baseball games, you keep score. Adults keep score too. We keep score at work. We keep score on social media. How many likes did I get? We keep score. God says, I'm not, I'm not like you like that. I don't keep score. I am gentle. I am lowly. One final example from the Old Testament, Lamentations chapter 3. So I need another volunteer from our, our younger audience here to help me out with this. Somebody who can read again. Okay, so you want to help me out this time? All right. Very good. Come on down. This is a very complex passage, so I hope your reading skills are ready this morning. It's almost school, so this will be a good warm-up for you. First of all, what's your name? I'm, Ele I'm Eleanor. Nice to have you with us today, Eleanor. You can look at the big screen because it's kind of bigger for you to okay. read. So we're going to read Lamentations chapter 3. You ready? Um, it is good for the men that be better the yoke in his youth. Mm -hmm. Let him sit alone in the silence when it is laid on him. 
Let him put his mouth to the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and lets him be filled with For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will come across to the abundance, abundance. abundance of steadfast love, for he does not affect, afflict from his heart or grave his children of men. Awesome job. You did want to, don't forget your fruit snacks. Don't forget your fruit snacks. Nice work. Very good. Lamentations is a poem. It's written by Jeremiah. It's about the exile of God's people to Babylon. It's an acrostic poem. Kids, you know what an acrostic is? Like A to Z. So every line starts with like a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So chapter 1 has 22 verses. Chapter 2 has 22 verses. Chapter 3 is 66 verses. Chapter 4, 22. Chapter 5, 22. It's a very carefully crafted poem, Lamentations. And there's structure to it. Someone spent a lot of time writing this book. And the part in yellow is the very center. The part in yellow is the very heart of the book. The part in yellow is the bullseye. And what's the part in yellow? When he punishes you, when he afflicts you, he does not do it from his heart. This is what God is trying to tell us here. When I bring consequences, when I bring punishment, I want you to know that that's not the most natural thing for me to do. The most natural thing for me to do is to show you love and compassion. Sometimes he has to do what the Puritan authors called his strange work, his strange work of discipline. Uh, but his most natural work, Ezekiel thirty-three eleven, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's a strange work that God does. Edwards, commentating on this, says, God has no pleasure in the destruction or calamity of persons or people. He had rather they should turn and continue in peace. He is well pleased if they forsake their evil ways that he may not have occasion to execute his wrath upon them. He is a God that delights in mercy and judgment is his strange work. What is his heart? His heart is found in verse 32 on the screen. Look at it. He will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, his hesed, his love, loyal love toward his people. That's his heart. Punishment's unnatural to him. Mercy and compassion and love, that's what's most natural to our God. So with those three passages from the Old Testament, and there are so many more, but with those passages, what the Bible has done is rolled out the red carpet for the promised Son of God, the Messiah. And at the end of that red carpet is a throne. And the Lord Jesus comes and sits on that throne. And he says, this is who I am. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. This is our God. Jesus is the perfect picture of gentleness, strength under control. He's gentle with his disciples. He is gentle with you and me. And he wants us to be gentle with others, which leads us to you and me. Movement three, gentleness at work in me. This is not natural to me. This is a passage that has been extremely convicting for me. 
And we might hear all of this about Jesus and say, well, that's wonderful about Jesus. But hey, Dave, just a reminder, the Fruit of the Spirit series is a, a series about us. We're supposed to have these character traits in us. It's wonderful to focus on Jesus. But what about me? How do I get the gentleness in me? That's a good question. And here's the connection. The way a Christian approaches others is how he or she believes God approaches them. In other words, we become the way that we think about God. We become like that which we worship. This is why idolatry is such a big deal. God says, worship me. Why? Because I want you to become like me. So the way I treat others is like the x-ray that shows everybody around me how I believe God approaches us. So when you see a harsh person or a harsh leader, what their posture is toward other people, you are seeing what he or she believes God is most deeply like towards him or her. And when you rather see a gentle person, a gentle Christian, they are representing to those watching on the outside what they believe truly about God on the inside. So the question for you and me is, what picture are you and I giving others? Are we giving them a true picture of who God is? Edwards, again, said, a lamb-like, L-A-M-B, a lamb-like, dove-like spirit is the, the distinguishing mark of a Christian. So let's get practical. How do we live out this fruit of the Spirit in our lives, in our workplaces, Monday morning? How, how do we exhibit this in our families, in our, in our relationships, in our church? Well, let me give you the ABCs of gentleness, because this is going to show up primarily in three areas, your attitude, your behavior, and your conversation. Attitude. Paul writes in Philippians 2, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And what do we know about his attitude? He put the interests of others before himself. So think about what that looks like as we serve one another and love one another and put one another's interests above our own. This is the attitude that we have to take on. It's an attitude that prompts us to park a little farther away from the church so that someone else can park closer. It's the attitude that says, let me serve in the kids' ministry during the weekend services. It's an attitude that says, let me donate food or my time to the food pantry. Or maybe you can come up with a better idea. And a gentle attitude will also show up in what's called a teachable spirit. Thinking once in a while, you know, I could be wrong. I know that's a hard concept for me, maybe not you, but it's a hard, sometimes we're wrong. And if I'm humble and meek and gentle, I will recognize and choose that attitude. This is what I'm told to do in James chapter 1. James says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. There's our word. Same word. Proutes. Put gentleness, meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. If I come rather to the, to the word or to, to someone who's trying to gently correct me with the word, if I come with an argumentative spirit, no, that's not true. If I'm intractable, if I'm anchored in my position, James says, that's not good. Some people, you try to talk to them, it's like water on a duck's back. Like rain on a tin roof. Kids, you know what that is, right? Water on a duck's back just rolls right off. Rain on a tin roof, just gone. This is what some of us are like when we're in relationship. So we have to have a teachable spirit and choose to listen. You might say, I don't know, Pastor Dave. This is fine for everybody else, but you don't know how things are at work. It's good for other people. Listen, I gotta get things done. Like, I'm responsible for, you know, majorly, majorly provoking my employees. And I, I you know, I, sometimes I gotta give them a swift kick. Sometimes I gotta, I gotta show, show my strength here. I don't, I don't know how to really put this into practice. I mean, if I'm on a horse, I guess I could gently try to tell the horse to get going or I could dig my spur into the back of that horse and get him moving. 
and, 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 and I think your struggle is my struggle. But maybe you and I need to realize that gentleness has a power beyond what we normally would imagine. Martin Luther in 1528 wrote to the Duke John Frederick, God has promised great mercy to those who seek peace and endure guile when he says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. They shall inherit the whole earth? Do you catch that? That's what the meek will get? Everything? And then he says this, war does not gain much but loses much and risks everything. Gentleness, however, loses nothing, risks little, and gains everything. So maybe... The mark of divine power that would accelerate your life into the maturity and the glory that you long to have isn't a big platform or how much you know or a pushiness that throws your weight around, but rather a life that is soaked in gentleness. And maybe what's going to take your life from natural to supernatural is this surprising character trait of gentleness towards those around you who may be wrong because they don't expect this from you. And if you're still doubtful about the power of gentleness, may I ask you a question? Who in your life are you drawn to? What kind of person has influenced you? Do you not find gentleness irresistible? Jerry Bridges, the Christian author, used to end his letters, keep tough and tender, tough on ourselves, but tender toward others. The opposite of gentleness gets that backwards. And that leads us to the, the second aspect of gentleness. It's not just our attitude, it's also our behavior. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Gentleness is often used as the opposite of words like harsh, unrelenting, strict, and severe. So bearing with one another means i got to hang in there with a person and do acts of kindness to them to bring a meal to someone, to drive a friend to the hospital, to care for a child. And in, in, in that spirit, am I following the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you gentle and considerate toward others in your life this week? Who will you interact with? Is it your mail carrier or the, the teenager at the fast food checkout? or your waiter or waitress? Are you gentle, or are you like most other people in New Jersey? You know what I'm talking about. Unbelievably crusty. Do you know what kind of reputation we have? Do you know what kind of reputation Americans have around the world? Not gentle, friends. Pushy, rude, harsh, abrasive. So will you be rigid and inflexible, or will you take on this challenge and learn to be gentle? How you treat a waiter or a waitress tells me so much about you. When you are being served, be understanding, not demanding. Be understanding, not demanding. Gentle in your behavior. Third, gentleness is also displayed in our conversation. To the Colossian church, Paul wrote this in chapter 4, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The tongue, the Bible says, is like a fire. The power of the tongue brought under control, though, can be used to strengthen and encourage and guide. Every time I open my mouth, in my home, at work, at church, every time I open my mouth, I have a choice. Think to yourself, will my words help right now? Will they build up or will they tear down? Am I gentle in my conversation? 
I don't know, Pastor Dave. I can't always be gentle in my conversation. I got, sometimes I got to have audacity. Sometimes I got to have courage. Sometimes I got to crank up the volume, you know? And I get that. But I would say this morning to my driven brothers and sisters, and I love you, you don't have to choose. There is a way to be both bold and gentle at the same time. Just look at Jesus. When you and I are truthful, sometimes we're overbearing. Not Jesus. When he is tough, he doesn't hurt. Sometimes when you and I are gracious, we can be too permissive. Not Jesus. When he's kind, he is not soft. He's like a steel piece of beam wrapped in velvet. He's both the servant and the king. He's the lion and the lamb. He said things like, all authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. But then he also said things like, don't you know the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve? Colossians chapter 1, he holds all things together by the word of his power. But yet Jesus says, and a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Isn't our Lord beautiful? Isn't our Lord lovely? He's so beautiful and, and balanced. And now because of our Lord Jesus and because of his gospel and because of the Holy Spirit at work inside of us to produce this character, we can be gentle too. But it's only through him. Francis Schaeffer used to say, you can either be bold and direct in the flesh or you can be patient and soft in the flesh, but you can only be both in the spirit. That's true. And we want the Holy Spirit to produce this fruit in us. Amen? Let me close with one more verse as the worship team comes from Philippians chapter four. Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to everybody who agrees with you. Just making sure you're awake. Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to everybody in your political party. Man, that's a challenging verse on the screen, isn't it? Let your gentleness be evident to all. Can you imagine a church full of people, men and women, young people who are displayed, who are displaying this awesome character quality of gentleness? Can you imagine the impact of a church full of people like that? Let's be that church. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you for this challenging and yet convicting word today. Would you now work in us what is pleasing in your sight? We know there will be times where people will disappoint us and rub us the wrong way. But Lord, in those moments, will you help us to make the choice? Instead of coming out fighting, instead of keeping that chip on our shoulder to respond rather humbly and gently. Now, Lord, we know that that choice doesn't just happen. It's because of the Holy Spirit at work inside of us. It does not come naturally to me. So help us to live lives that are fully committed to you and help us to stay connected to the vine and live a cultivated life, a deepening relationship with you every day. And because of the grace that we receive from you so freely, help us now to, to dispense that grace with the spirit of gentleness to others. Lord, we've been transformed by the surprising message of your mercy and grace. And I know that you delight to show that gentleness through us toward others. So help us to let our gentleness be evident to all. But Lord, for this, we need you. And so we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.